So far in this study, we have discussed a range of Christian virtues. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Each of these are a part of our everyday vocabulary. We're familiar with these words. We know what they mean, or at least we think we do. Although, as I've pointed out throughout our study, Scripture has its own take on these virtues, a take that's often really distinct from our everyday ways of thinking about them. But at least we have some idea of what these words mean. When it comes to the sixth virtue on Paul's list, however, he names a quality that sounds so vague, so generic, that it's hard to even know where to begin in understanding what it means. The sixth quality Paul lists is the quality of goodness. What is goodness? What does it mean to describe something as good? Well, the truth is we use this word to describe all sorts of things. We use it to talk about experiences we have. We had a good meal or a good vacation. We watched a good film recently. We talk about things that we own. It's a good computer. Or we have a good chef's knife that we love. There's a good brand of refrigerator that we want to tell our friends about. And all, the, all of these are ways of using the word good that suggests that it refers to things that excel at their particular purpose. A good chef's knife is one that uses, that fits its purpose well. But if that's true, then what does it mean to call a person good? Uh, the philosopher Alastair McIntyre he says that since we live in a culture in which there's no longer a shared understanding of what the purpose of a human being is, that the word good has really lost any specific meaning whatsoever. To call a thing or even a person good, he says, seems to many people today to really mean no more than simply expressing your approval of it. To say this is good is for many people today to utter a sentence meaning roughly, hurrah for this. McIntyre calls this sort of take on goodness, he calls it emotivist, because it makes our statements about what is good or what is bad to really be no more than the emoting of opinions and preferences. And because that's how many of us think, it's not at all clear what we mean when we use the word goodness or describe something as good. And because our culture changes, our ideals of goodness change. Now take the recent television show, The Good Place, for instance. It's a show that's all about where you end up in the afterlife, either the good place or the bad place, and how you get there. What is it that makes a person good or bad? Now, no one in the show ever really defines exactly what goodness is, but you do get a lot of ideas from the different characters. And most of, most of the people who end up in the good place, they, they really led lives of heroic altruism. But that altruism, as heroic as it is, it often reflects a particularly modern set of concerns, a very particular culture, cultural set of concerns. So, for example, you have people there who dedicated their lives to working with nonprofits to alleviate human poverty. And then you also have people who dedicated their lives to, to working for environmental care of the planet, or perhaps to protecting endangered species of animals. Now, of course, there's certainly nothing wrong with such pursuits. All of us, I think, would admire it. 
but they do reflect a particularly modern set of concerns, what goodness should look like. And then on one occasion, the producer of the show, he was interviewed and he actually tried to give a, a more concrete definition of what is goodness. If you could really boil down good behavior and bad behavior in a big umbrella kind of way, it seems to have a lot to do with empathy. So when we write The Bad Place Crew, the simple idea was zero empathy. So is that what goodness is? Some mixture of altruism and empathy? Or is goodness what many people today think it is? It's, it's really just a matter of taste and of preference. It's just a statement about what you approve. Well, there may be some truth to both of these when it comes to the normal ways that we use the word good or that we understand goodness. But neither of them are an adequate account of what the Bible means by this word. So what is goodness then? How should we actually define it? Well, I've given a fair amount of thought to this question over the years. And one of the people who has helped me the most is a philosopher by the name of Linda Zygzebski. Now, Professor Zygzebski argues that our ideas about goodness, they're not just a matter of preference or taste, but neither are they reducible to some kind of succinct definition like altruism or empathy. And the reason for that is because our ideas about what is good, they don't come from definitions. They don't come from reading a dictionary. They come from particular examples of goodness that we experience. In other words, you have an idea about what it means to be a good person because you've actually encountered specific examples and specific stories about of good people. So when you say the word good, you're not thinking of a definition, you're thinking of a particular model. What is good? What is goodness? Well, that, that over there, that person, that is good. And that's how we think about goodness. We, we think about it by way of example. Now, Linda Zygzebski, she uses this phrase, exemplarist moral theory, to talk about this idea. And her writing about it is very dense and very sophisticated. But really, even as a basic idea, I think it's very helpful. And I also think that this is actually a very helpful way to understand how Scripture itself talks and thinks about goodness. The words good and goodness, they appear frequently in the Bible, but they're never given anything like a formal definition. And yet, that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't mean anything by them, that it's just a way of saying hurrah for this. No, when the Bible speaks of goodness, what it has in mind is a very specific example, a specific model, a concrete pattern. God himself. As Psalm 119 verse 68 puts it, you are good and you do good. God is good and therefore goodness is simply the character of God himself. And so to talk about goodness is to talk about God. You could see the truth of this if you look at Jesus's interaction with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. The young man comes to Jesus and he addresses him as good teacher, but then Jesus corrects him. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, this verse has proved very troublesome to people over the years because 
On the surface, Jesus seems to be suggesting that he is in fact not good. Now, of course, from other things that Jesus says in Mark and in the other gospels, that is clearly not the case. He uses the word good to describe himself multiple times and even says that he and the Father are one. So when Jesus corrects this young man, he's not suggesting that the man was wrong to call him good. He's suggesting that this man is using this word good too carelessly without really understanding what it means in the first place. It's like that line from the movie Princess Bride where the character Inigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And that's really what Jesus is saying to this rich young man. You keep using that word good. I don't think it means what you think it means. So what then does it mean? Well, in a word, God. Pope John Paul II, commenting on this story of Jesus and the rich young man, he actually puts it this way. He says, only God can answer the question about what is good because he is the good itself. To ask about the good, in fact, ultimately means to turn toward God, the fullness of goodness. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that goodness simply means resemblance to God. It means that the standard for a good person, it's not just a matter of opinion. It's not simply a matter of taste. We are good insofar as we participate in and imitate the goodness of God's own character. To be good is simply to be like God. Now, maybe this sounds strange to you, but in fact, it's at the very heart of what the Bible has to teach us about what it means to be human. Human beings, we are told, were created as the image of God, which means that you and I, we were made for no other reason than to be images or mirrors, as St. Gregory of Nyssa likes to put it, mirrors that reflect the light of God's own goodness. That's why Paul exhorts the Ephesian Christians in Ephesians chapter 5 to be imitators of God. It's why Peter in his second epistle says that we have been called to become partakers of the divine nature. That's why Jesus tells his followers that they are the light of the world and that they should let their light so shine so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As odd as it may sound, we were created for no other purpose than this, that we might share in God's own goodness and that we through our lives might make it visible for all the world to see. It is hard to imagine a higher purpose than that for your life, or for that matter, a more daunting one. How in the world can we begin to live into this purpose? How can you and I possibly be like God? How can we be good? Well, as I have said with all of these virtues, so I should say again here, goodness isn't something that you or I can simply manufacture in our lives. God alone, as Jesus tells that rich young man, God alone is good. And so God alone is the one who can impart his goodness to us, which is precisely what he does through his spirit as he conforms us more and more to the image of his son. And yet, as I've also said, 
practically every session of this study. This is something which we are called to cultivate in our lives. Be imitators of God. That's what Paul tells the Ephesians. Let your light shine, Jesus says to his disciples. In other words, live out the goodness to which you have been called. But once again, we're faced with the question, well, how? Well, the Christian theologian and ethicist, Vegan Garoyan, he's given this a lot of thought, and he suggests that the primary way to cultivate goodness in our lives is actually by attending to what he calls the moral imagination. Mere instruction in morality, he says, is not sufficient to nurture this virtue. Instead, a compelling vision of the goodness of goodness itself needs to be presented in a way that is attractive and stirs the imagination. In other words, if you're going to become good, then you must first learn to love what is good, to be captured in your imagination by the beauty of good itself. But how can you do that? How can your moral imagination be captured by goodness itself? That all sounds very abstract. When the church fathers asked this question, they tended to answer it in two different ways. First, they said, Christian disciples must make a habit out of studying and contemplating the person of Jesus Christ. Before we can become like Christ, we must first spend time actually beholding him. Now, that's one reason that Christians have always placed so much emphasis on reading and studying scripture. It's not just because the Bible is some kind of instruction manual that has a lot of do's and don'ts that we need to live our lives. No, rather, as St. Augustine said, it is because it is in and through the pages of scripture that we encounter the beauty and the goodness of God as we find it in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, in the, in the modern world today, our lives are very busy. And because of that, we can sometimes start to think that, you know, this practice of studying and contemplating the person of Christ in Scripture, this is, this is really sort of an optional thing, something for those Christians who have a lot of time on their hands. But really, that isn't true. We won't grow in goodness. We won't live into the purpose for which we are created until our imaginations are actually captured by Christ until they're awakened to his goodness. And that won't happen unless we devote time to contemplating him. So, so that's one way of cultivating goodness, the study and the contemplation of Christ himself. And there's a, a second way that's very similar that the church fathers emphasized. Not only do we grow in goodness by contemplating Christ, but also by studying the saints. Now, the stories of saintly Christians, th those stories have always played a very big role in Christian formation. And not, not just for early Christians or for modern-day Catholics who often refer to people with the word saint, but really even by very low-church Protestants. When I was a child, for instance, at a Baptist church, we didn't tell a lot of stories about people that we called saints, but we would tell stories about missionaries. Why? Why did we do this? Because the saints, these are people whose goodness, in whose lives the goodness of Christ has been made visible in a very specific and practical way. These are stories of what it looks like to be good. 
And, you know, saints, they're not perfect, but they are in some way a mirror of the light of the goodness of God through a particular human life. And by studying their lives, by telling their stories, our imaginations begin to be stirred. They're captured by the goodness that has been reflected in those lives. When I was a child, some missionaries visited my church and they told us stories of their own life and of the lives of other missionaries in China. And as a child, that really impacted me. All of a sudden, my imagination was stirred up. I began to get a vision of goodness that was unlike anything I had really experienced before. And actually, in many ways, it was that experience. It was the stories of those missionaries. That was the first thing that God used to call me into ministry because it awakened something in my imagination. And that's why here at Christ Church, Father Paul has recorded the story of more than 100 Christian saints throughout the centuries. He's doing this as a part of his Praying with the Saints podcast. It's not just because these are interesting stories that he likes to tell. It's because they capture our imaginations, because they are a means of cultivating goodness, because they are one of God's ways of making us more and more like Christ himself.